Hello and welcome back to the Talking Leadership podcast series. My guest today is described as a futurist, demographer and social commentator. He is a National Statistics Excellence Award winner, a TED speaker and is regarded as one of Australia's foremost social researchers. I'd like to welcome to the podcast today Mark McCrindle who is the founder and principal of McCrindle Research. Mark, how are you today, mate? Great, Eric. Thanks so much for having me on. Great to have this chat with you. Mate, that overview of what you do, do you sleep, mate? Do you, do you get yeah, time to power down? Um, it's quite a varied um, quite a varied background there, and your social researcher, demographer background is, is going to make this conversation particularly interesting. But before we take off, can you give us a sense of what you do as a demographer, social researcher, if you could? Yeah, well, pretty exciting times at the moment with the census results having just come out, which only happens once every five years. So we're right into all of that. And that's what we do. We look at population numbers, we look at data sets, we look at figures that define a population or a community and try to see patterns in the changes, try to unpack what that means, and then try to help our clients and community groups, you know, tell the story of that and respond to that story of their changing demographic or catchment or customer base or community. And a lot of what we do in addition to that data or demographic analysis is original research. So we'll run surveys, we will run focus groups or in-depth interviews. We'll we'll try to take the pulse of a community or a customer base or a nation to help organisations respond effectively. So it's that social research, demographic analysis, data uh, unpacking that really helps us paint a picture so that we're making decisions and leading based not on emotion or our gut, but on the, the data, the reality, the changes that the um, that the evidence is presenting to us. And is it a, a common, do you see it commonly that organisations are coming to you for that kind of help? And is it more in the corporate arena or is it across the spectrum that you see people with an interest in this kind of data? multitude of industries you know, definitely the commercial world are trying to understand the customers or the changes i think the last few years have reminded us that we uh, can get disrupted very easily uh, that we need to keep an eye on the future we need to be adaptive and respond to the realities and particularly in a changing community where there are new demographic groups or changing cultural mores or, or new social values or or just changes in attitude we need to be across that and, and that's true not just of the corporates the not-for-profit sector we work a lot with the education sector who are understanding the, the next generation always responding to them through to government and uh, and, and um, public sector organizations so it's pretty broad and uh, yeah we love this work and we love to use these tools to really help leaders do what they do better and create that flourishing that connection that engagement with their communities and and, and do it more effectively one thing I'm finding in my conversations is not that it's always identified around uh, the toolkit that leaders need, but definitely to make good decisions, which is what leadership is about ultimately is making a decision that you would hope that the decision is made on good data and not just intuition. Now, I could host a podcast and I think there would be many that would want to about decisions that are made that are guesstimates and it's, um, but that guesstimate, if you really dig into the weeds about how that came about, that person, he or she has used data that's available to be able to make that decision. And you would hope 
that it would be at the quality at the at the level that uh, you can generate from looking at census data. So th- this this gives a good foundation for the rest of the discussion. But it's just um and it's it's my podcast, so I'm happy to ask you the questions around what you do in demography and social research because it, it's an area that should be of interest to anyone who wants to do the thing of leadership a little bit better. Mark, so if I can take us then to the main game today, which is talking about the Great Resignation now. Uh, for those that are listening, can you define it for us to start with? And then secondly, answer a, a very related question so I don't forget. Is it a trend that was pre-COVID or has it, has it come as a consequence of COVID? So over to you, mate. Well, the Great Resignation is this period where we're seeing increased people change jobs, move jobs, leave jobs, not resigning from work, but resigning from their current role to look for something else. It's something that has really accelerated since COVID. And it's come about because of a few factors. Firstly, COVID caused us all to have a bit of a reset. We were forced to be at home to isolate the normal patterns and activities were all brought to a halt. And that gave people the opportunity to pause and to reflect and to reprioritize their life. We've seen that constantly through our research over the last few years. Uh, People have said, you know, that they're getting rid of things that didn't work. They're picking up the pace again now towards things that do work, that they want. They had a chance to clear the schedule and make sure that what they have moving forward is really curated and there for a reason. And that did mean some people reflected on their work and they thought, you know what, I'm not loving the people or the culture. I'm not loving the role or the commute. And so as we've moved back to a little bit more of that normalcy, people have said, I can't go back. For some people, it's been the practical reasons of they've moved since the pandemic and uh, they, they, they physically can't get back to that workplace if the boss is requiring them to do so. For others, they've said, hey, I've, I've quit the commute. And if you want me back in the office, I'm not up for that anymore. If, we, if it's work from home, maybe I can. So that's been uh, the reason for others to look for an alternate job. Uh, for others, it just they lost connection with the colleagues. And, you know, when you just day in, day out, you're working, you've got the momentum, you don't really question things. But as soon as you stop and then you have to choose to get back into it you say you know what I, I'm not connected with those people or I never did really resonate with the boss or I just didn't love the work so all of those reasons have come together to get people to question their employment and whether they want to stick around and the other big factor added to this is economic and that is that we have an employee's market at the moment that is that there are far more jobs vacant to be filled, then there are people to fill them. And so the power in that employment transaction has shifted to the employee. So they have a great opportunity if they're not loving their current role to move, uh, to find something. Seek um, here in Australia, seek.com.au have just said they've posted the most number of job vacancies on their online job site uh, of any time in their 24 year history. So that gives a sense as to the shortages that we've got in the workforce And so unless people are loving where they're at, they can move without great risk and find another role. And as the economy continues to roll along, you know, that's that's a great option for them. Now, no one was doing it during the lockdowns, during the pandemic peak, during the uncertainties that we've had over the last couple of years, because no one wanted to take the risk. And and hey, you know, things were fine working from home anyway. But now that we're getting back to it for the priorities reasons, for the loss of connection with the work reasons, just because they've changed who they are or their study of what they've done, and also the economics are really driving people to seek new employment. To the extent that almost half of Australians said that they're going to look for a new opportunity within the next six months. Now, not all of them might take that up, but that's pretty significant if it ends up with that level of churn, a higher rate than we've seen for some years. 
the discussions that I've been having with with leaders in, in very different sectors and people in the consulting world have suggested that we're going to have hybrid models of work now going forward as as the norm. So complete work from home to complete work in the office or something in between. And given at the moment that it's it's the employee's market, when that starts to change, do you think there's going to be another adjustment quite the other way where employers will force their view of how their workplaces should look? Do, do you see that coming? It'll take a little while before we move back to an employer's market. Uh, firstly, we've got pent up residual turnover. Um, so no one moved or not many moved during the lockdowns. Now, normally we get about 15% of the workforce per annum is the voluntary turnover. And so that's just what we would see in a given year. Now, we didn't have that 15% in 2020. 20, we didn't have it in 2021. And so, you know, we can expect, expect sort of a lot higher rates of turnover now because of the, of the build-up that we've had in a few years where those that didn't love their job just have stuck with it. And uh, the, the other factor is uh, here in Australia, we've had closed borders for nearly two years. Um, they're open now, but of course, we've got a massive loss of what we would have had from overseas migration, filling those skilled positions. We are a labour market that really does rely on plugging those gaps from overseas, as do so many developed nations. And with the loss of, of that internal uh, international migration, the skills visas, um, people moving around the world, even as countries like Australia open up, the rest of the world is still locked down or much of it. And so we're just not getting the opportunity to fill those gaps with overseas workers. And so again, it's empowering um, local workers. But on the, uh, on the hybrid, that's exactly how we see it as well. The future of work won't just be us all working from home, even where it's not place-based. I mean, obviously, for place-based employment, you know, a school teacher or a um, retail worker, you have to be in situ, healthcare, and some of our biggest employers are the biggest sectors, you know, the trades, uh, the construction, uh, mining, obviously, place-based is is core. But, but even for the, the many roles and industries that can work remotely, uh, office-based, et cetera. Uh, we're not going to have people fully working from home, firstly, because the last couple of years have shown that, yes, we can do it, but we do lose something of the values alignment, of the collegiality, of just that culture that that, that means that people are likely to, to come and connect. We found that seven in 10 employed workers say that the key social connection point they have in any given week is workplace. That's where they meet not just work needs now, social needs, relational connection, that well-being of interacting with others. Uh, we're not as connected with the local community club or volunteering at the sporting place down the road. or We don't know our neighbours as much. People are moving more frequently. People aren't as much part of a worship community. So where are they getting that, that connection? It's the workplace. And that happens best when we're a gathered one, not a scattered one. And so the future will be, sure, using technology to work a bit remotely and we'll have flexibility, but it'll also be us gathering together, maybe not five days a week like we used to know, but two or three and uh, and connecting. And so that's the hybrid model. That's what employers are wanting because they are able to get that upskilling, that values, that that connection, that, that vision casting. Um, and of course, the collaboration and innovation that happens best when we're gathered with, a, with people around us and a whiteboard and connecting. We can do it online, but it does happen collegiately, you know, better when we're gathered. Uh, but also for convenience reasons to cut down on commutes and just our lifestyle, we want a bit of work from home. So that will bring us to the, the future, the, the mix. That's what most employees want as well. And I think it's healthy for the, the balance in our lives also. 
I believe that your work arrangements need to be primarily developed by yourself and your employer, something that uh, suits you to a T, but also suits them to a T. And like any contract relationship, when you first go for a job and you, you do have the ability to, to negotiate your contract, then yeah, if that's available, I think most reasonable people would go down that track. Now, you also made the really incredibly important point that it's just some jobs you can't do from home. So if you're going to a hospital, you don't want to be talking to a nurse via a screen, hopefully them being able to triage you when there's no one physically there. So I get that in some industries, that's just not going to happen. But in those like, uh, I guess I'll use myself as an example, as an industry advocate, I don't need to be in any one physical space for any length of time because being able to use the computer and pick up a phone is 90% of what I need to do, but that's not the same for everyone. So look, you've, you've really touched on how did we get here, but the reason I, one of the reasons I reached out primarily was I read an article where you talked and used the term, the great opportunity. Now, can you give my listeners a bit of a sense of what you mean by that, please, Mark? Well, now that we've got people reassessing what matters in life, recognizing having had this isolation for a couple of years, knowing what it's like when we're just working by ourselves from home without that connection. We've seen the downsides of that. We've seen mental health challenges. We've seen isolation loners. We've we've seen that we just haven't kept our skills as honed in terms of just sometimes not formal courses or even online courses, but just watching how someone else does or asking something. The efficiency of instead of having to send an email, just walk up to someone and say, hey, uh, have, you, have you got back to the client yet? Those sorts of things we've missed and we recognize the importance of them. And so what we're saying here is there is actually a great opportunity now uh, for companies that can get it right to say, we, we have a culture, we're at our best when we gather. We know that people want to have that relational connection in a workplace. And indeed, we have you know great great values and a great vision, and, and we want to make some great impacts. Therefore, you know let's reengage, let's let's reconnect, let let's go for it. So I think we can turn the great resignation into the great retention if we're clear on our culture, our values, our purpose, and able to celebrate those impacts of our staff. And uh, and and this means that we've got to be intentional. It can't just be about the profit focus. It can't just be about the bottom line. It's more the triple bottom line. It's about the people, it's about the planet and it's about the profit. It's it's about that ESG. We're hearing more about that environment, social aspects, and of course, governance. It's about culture, not just strategy. It's about leadership that's collaborative and engaging, not just top down and hierarchical. And we're seeing a lot of generational change in that regard, where we've got a new mindset that brings that to our work and our organizations. But those that don't bring that, they really will struggle to connect with that emerging generation. We surveyed nationally these uh, year 12 students moving through to their tertiary study so in the final years of school and the early years of of their study and we asked them what are you most looking for in a job right they're at the point where they're moving from the learning to the earning and thinking about roles and number one was a role with purpose and meaning and number two was a place where i can make a difference with my skills and number three was social connection number four was flexibility they, they do want that ability to work a bit here and a bit there and number five was seeing the impacts that they could make so it's purpose, meaning, values, having an impact, seeing the difference and flexibility and collegiality. And when we have all of that, that's the great opportunity. That's what this next generation are looking for. That's what companies at their best do. Uh, they have multiple benefits, not just profit ones, but but those multiple ones. And, and that will lead to that great retention. 
you said you've uh, you surveyed the new generation coming through who may not be in, in certain industries for some time until they've got degree qualifications or they've got their trade done. In some workplaces, this idea of putting your time in and taking your lumps and bumps is still important whether people articulate that or not. And so one one thing I've tried to instill in my kids, which was drilled into me when I was younger on the come up and thinking I knew everything about everything was be humble when you get into a workplace and be prepared to learn and seed some ground so that you, you show due respect to the people that you're working with. Now that also comes with them showing you that same level of respect, but I still think there is, there'll be a co cohort of businesses and I think across industries not saying this is necessarily a good thing that some time served irrespective of all those things that you said is critical to build a a person that is functional in a team within an organization that that clash of um, generations in the workplace how you manage that is of of, uh, interest to me because I haven't been at the um, coalface of hiring the new generations that are coming through, but I could potentially see it as an issue. Is that ever raised in any of the research that you do? Yeah, definitely. And and that's a really good point. You know, we need this next generation to have resilience. We need them to have some tenure in their roles so they can develop that experience. You can't have everyone flipping um, through roles after a year or 18 months. You get no expertise, you get no domain knowledge, you get no industry leadership that way. So we need that. And and as you say, the, the, the lumps and bumps is, is part of that course. Um, we say to young people, you know, when you're starting out in your career, what you learn in that role matters a lot more than what you earn in that role. It's the learning, it's the it's the developing the foundations, it's the responding to a boss, it's the intergenerational connection. It's not having everyone respond to you as the younger generation, but actually learning how to bridge gaps with the older client, customer or colleague. It's it's listening to the boss because the boss still has an authority and we, we learn best when we're humble and responding within that context. So all of that matters. And I think even more because those that list that they were sharing with us, you know, they want purpose and vision and meaning and values. I mean, that 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 aligns with all of that. So what we need to do is ensure that those leaders and and managers of today understand that the values that have got them to where they are at, uh, resilience and character and integrity and respect for others. They need to help shape that next generation with that. The the vision that they have. I mean, the only reason someone is still in their industry after three or four or five decades, sure, you know, the, the pay is, is helpful and sure, they've got some stickability, but they're there because they love it. And there are days they don't, for sure, but they're there because they see, they, they value the sector. They see the difference they can make. They, they might not articulate it in the same upfront way as the younger people, but they share that same passion. You know, the fact is we spend more than a third of our waking hours in any week at work. We spend more than half of the years of our life and, and our life's getting longer with longevity. So our growing years are spent at work, more than half of them. And this is a generation that sits down at the start of their career and they say, look, Therefore, I want to make the most of it. I don't just want a job for job's sake. They're not in that financial survival mode. They can still live with mum and dad a lot longer. Um, there's government benefits they can get, right? It's it's not survival net st- survival um, and security stuff anymore. It's it's the self-actualization. It's the making a difference. And and sure, they need to save money for the house and the mortgage, all of that stuff. But but if we can communicate what we've always found important in in business and work, you know the connection, the values, the people, the the, the, the integrity, uh, the impacts, and celebrate those wins. That's speaking the language of the next generation as well. That's what they look for. And that'll lead to that, that longer-term retention that we really need in our organizations. 
when I see my sons and how they socialize and do what they do, there's a significantly different way they do that. And a lot of it is through technology, through iPads, through uh, gaming platforms. That's their social square in some senses. And can they see that people that have been in jobs for quite some time don't relate that way and socialize in a very different way. And I've never asked anyone, um, I've never had the chance to ask anyone, but does that generational potential grind, is that something leaders need to be more aware of or is it something that is not often spoken about that just manifests in a certain way in the workplace does that do you see much of that yes oh you've summed it up well eric there are those generation gaps alive and well and we do need to be conscious of it in fact as the age at which we work extends so the age range of our team is greater than ever and we've got more generations therefore in our team than ever before so bridging those generation gaps is key and of course the times that are shaping the younger ones are quite different to us gen x's as you said you know maybe a fax machine was pretty good technology when we were starting out um now of course it's just the the digital world it's smart speakers and it's devices in the pocket so what a difference they have experienced and that's the world the only world they've ever known uh, therefore you're helping them sure you know utilize the best of that new technology for productivity reasons but also understand how to connect with a baby boomer customer um, understand how to build those people skills how to resolve conflict face to face how to communicate to a, a room of, of people or one-on-one without hiding behind the technology and sending a text these are the people skills the timeless human skills that they will need and that's a part of that is i think that intergenerational connection where they can learn to bridge those gaps communicate seamlessly across the age groups and develop those those uh, key skills for the future, which aren't the technology ones, they're the people ones, and uh, and that will help them uh, stay in good stead. But yeah, bridging generation gaps is, is a key part of that. Everything you've said there really does lay in the domain of uh, what do effective leaders need to be thinking about going forward? So a lot of the discussions I've had, uh, uh, an outright question is, what does what does effective leadership look like and what does fit for future leadership look like? And these questions, these issues that you've been raising, which are all key at the start of a career, when you get into an organization at whatever level, I don't just mean young people, but potentially moving between jobs is understanding those dynamics. One issue that's come up a little bit, and again, it's not not necessarily given a, a name, but I, I think I know where this might be going, is this idea of being able to deal with conflict resolution in organizations. And that's about understanding what the social contract means when you're having a dilemma at work and then more at a more macro level the complexity of the workplace is getting that much more in your face that leaders need to be as much as you need to be accepting of change in the workplace dealing with complexity in the modern workplace is going to get more and more more and more of an issue is that something that you could extract from the the census data that you've been reading or is that me speculating a bit too much Oh, it's exactly right. I mean, the census data communicates one thing very clearly, and that is the diversity of our communities, the cultural diversity. 350 different languages spoken at home in Australia uh, as recorded in the latest census. Uh, more than half of us either 
were born overseas or had a parent born overseas. Um, yeah, that's right. We're, we're moving uh, increasingly, not just in capital cities, but to outer suburbs and indeed regional areas. So we've got this increased geographical spread. Obviously, the age diversity continues as we age as a population and a workforce, and yet the younger generations coming in. So all of that to say that, yes, leaders today need the sophistication to understand the dynamics of the modern workplace, which is diverse, and to bridge across those diverse customer and client groups as well. Hey, we're, we're global operators now, so we've got to bridge across countries as well. Uh, that means that we can't have the top-down autocratic approach of this is the way, because we don't have all the answers. The whole point of diversity is that strength comes from other people. And if we get them around the table, get their input and perspectives, it'll help us understand uh, and find more holistic solutions. It means that we need to have really refined people skills. Now, yes, we need to understand the business and develop those business skills, but but, you know, as we look to a fast changing future, innovation, adaption, entrepreneurialism, finding solutions is key. And again, it happens when there are more voices around that table than than, than just ours alone. I mean, that's the whole premise of, of research. The company could, could solve the problem themselves or put down what they think the answer is. But how much better to survey people, to, to run some in-depth interviews, to get a sense as to what others are happening, because the more the voices and assuming it's a it's a, an informed crowd, it's a group that's representative of what you want to uh, move towards. Then, then there's going to be far better outcomes in that analysis than in what sits in our own head or from our own singular experience. So, so as leaders bring those refined people skills, as they connect across diversity, as they collaborate in flatter structures and empower and enlarge their team, they are future-proofing themselves and their organization. That's what makes great leaders today and ensures that we're, for the long-term, thriving uh, into the future. Mate, that could not be a better way to sum up the discussion. Mark McCrindle, thank you for your time. But before we go, could you give us a bit of a, a plug as to what it is that you're doing now and a way for my listeners to reach you if they want to have a chat? Sure, well, here at McCrindle, uh, we conduct this research in various ways and demographics and companies will come to us and say, hey, we need to understand our catchment or our client base or or, or maybe it's um, survey to, to develop new product or test out this concept. Maybe it's just understanding the workforce and uh, and how engaged they are or how they can reduce turnover or change their leadership. So all of that social research, data analytics, demographic assessment, that's what we do. And we either communicate that back to them in board briefings or presentations to their teams, or maybe it's a written report, or maybe it's a consultation program, but letting data guide the journey, discovering the insights, telling the story, you know, guiding that for the future, that's what we're about. Uh, there's a lot of free information, uh, podcasts, blogs, everything else on our website, mccrindle.com.au. So M-C-C-R-I-N-D-L-E.com.au. No worries, Mark. Thank you. For those listening, I've been speaking to Mark McCrindle. Thank you for following the podcast and we'll catch everyone on the next episode. Take care.